Hello, my fanist friends. Welcome to my podcast feed. Powered by ACAS Plus, here's a joke from my son. What did the bum say to the other bum? That's a bummer. You know, not for everyone. Uh, so, uh, look, thanks to everyone who's come to see the previews of Can I Have My Ball Back. It's been going really, really well, and uh, I'm really pleased with how the show's turning out. It's officially on tour now from Wednesday. I'll be at the Leicester Square Theatre. A couple of tickets left. Lots of press coming to that one. It'd be lovely to sell out, but there are a few other London gigs not selling as well. So if you're going to come to London... Maybe look up those other London gigs. And then this week I'll be in St Albans on Thursday, Gloucester on Friday, Chorley on Saturday, which is sold out. You can join the waiting list. And Glasgow on Sunday, two shows. I think the earlier show is sold out. Check with the venue, but the later show has some availability. Come along if you can. If you enjoy these podcasts and like them being free, then the great way to pay me back is to buy a ticket to a show or buy a download or a book from gofasterstripe.com. But you can just keep listening for free as well. That pays me back also. So, you know, no no pressure. But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello, this is Rich Herring's Lesser Square Theatre Podcast. It's me, Richard Herring. Uh, my guest this week is Doc Brown, also known as Ben Bailey-Smith. A fantastic comic, actor, singer, child's author. He does the lot. Unusually, we're recording this after the show, so I could tell you what's in it right now if you wanted. I'm not going to. Uh, if you enjoy these podcasts, at this time we're trying to fund them uh, via just you buying badges or maybe a DVD. You can go to gofasterstripe.com and buy a Kickstarter DVD, it's called, of me interviewing myself. Uh, and there's also some backstage interviews from Series 7 on that, if you haven't seen those, which are... A, secret for people who pay monthly on the badges uh so if you buy that or buy a badge or if you go monthly on the badges you can get the secret channel and see all the backstage interviews um that's up to you but uh let's sit back and enjoy richard herring's Esther square theater podcast with doc brown hello <laughs> welcome to richard herring's leicester square theater uh, and <laughs> Please welcome a man who has not had sex with Robert the Robot. Not yet. 
me is Richard Herring. <laughs> oh man, oh man, it's good to be back. Welcome to the show. Uh, it's uh, it's called Richard Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. But uh, I was down at the arcade playing Space Invaders and Pac Man. <laughs> the other day and some of the kids down there one of the kids on uh, the Gauntlet 2 machine he was really good at it he was calling it Rehellistipper so I don't know if that's don't know if that's a new thing or not but that's definitely coming up uh, so uh, it's uh, I've got no uh, nothing's happened this week you're much uh, not, you're not as good as last week's audience they were they were much better uh, I, I, we'll talk to people in the audience uh, here we go. Should have set this up beforehand. Uh, there's David Frew. He's always here. Just, he's got a nice pint on the go there. Uh, David Frew's young friend. Uh, and uh, there's a gentleman here who likes the clapperboard at the beginning. What's your name, sir? Hi, I'm Dan. You're Dan. Hi, Dan. Um, what, if you could have sex with any robot, which robot would you have sex with? And it can be a robot of a human being if you want. Or you could not have sex with a robot, but try, think of one. Probably wouldn't, to be honest. Probably wouldn't, to be honest. This is why, mate, Dan, you will never be on this. You'll never, you will never be a guest on this because that is not a good answer. That's, you've got to come up with a good answer, funny answer that makes me look good. There is a piece of you on this. Have you wanked on my chairs during the? Inter- <laughs> is that what you're saying? What's happened, Dan? I'm the clapperboard man. You are, but that that's not on the show. You understand that? Okay. <laughs> That's why it's the clapperboard. That's not. You are. You've got another. You've got a clapperboard. Oh, that's your. That's your own clapperboard. Ah! It's weird. Where did you get that from? Is that your clapperboard? It was. Yeah. Oh, that. Okay. I remember. Dan, I remember. I remember. Why have you still got the box? Evidence. One day you'll come to me. You'll ask about the clapboard, and I'll prove that it was my clapboard with a box. You, anyone could come with a box, Dan. Anyone could come with a vaguely clapperboard shape. Let's see. Let's see. Let's do a little Cinderella on this. Oh no! Is there is there polystyrene in there? There is. Oh god, that is my worst fear. No, We're finding. No, then it won't work. Well, let's do. It. I'm going to have to do it. You'll see how much I hate polystyrene. Ah! Ah, this is literally hell for me. Ah! It does fit. Okay, I'll accept. There's Dan the clapperboard man. Is this the best thing that's ever happened to you in your life? Are you uh, single, Dan? He said, expecting the answer, yes. I put it like this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yes. Nothing. nothing. You're nothing. Yeah. You don't have to be anything. Would you like to have a partner? Because we can sort it out via the... Ro- oh, that is not true, Dan. I would like, I'd love to be with you if I wasn't married. Uh, are you looking for a man or a woman or either? It's not going to happen, really. Oh. It's one of these slags or something. Honestly, they were this. Just, they were this. Honestly. You can have one of the ones that would have sucked me off in the old days. They won't mind. They'll do it for, you'll do it for me, won't you, girls? Or boys, depending on which it is. OK, I'll leave you alone, Dan. But thank, thank you very much. Thanks for the clapperboard. Sorry. OK. Are you taking it back again now? Or can I... Can I keep... Unless I find Andy McH's. Unless I find Andy McH's. I don't know why I'm doing Andy McH's one. 
It's a, it's a very interesting story. So, you know, I was wrong. You have turned into the perfect... I think I'm just going to... We'll just send uh, Doc Brown home, I think. And we could talk about... We'll just talk about clapperboards for the... <laughs> He was looking very disappointed. He looked at his watch there and then looked very disappointed. Oh. Well, if you're going to have a guest, I could go and see Bridget Christie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you are funny. Okay, so, um. <laughs> thank you, Dan. That was Dan, ladies and gentlemen, who gave me a clapboard. <laughs> and we'll never, we'll never have sex. So, will you please welcome. <laughs> like everyone who listens to this podcast, let's face it. If you were having sex, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast, and you know it, so you're no better than him. <laughs> and, for, and I'm married, so I'm not having sex either. So will you please welcome uh, a man who is best known as, I can't read my own writing, Plithy Nondeplume from Little Howard's Big Question. That's why we're all here, to see him in real life. It's Doc Brown, also known as Ben Bailey-Smith, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Welcome. Come on, sit down. Ow. Make yourself at home. How are you uh, doing? I'm pretty good. I always feel a bit weird about this venue. Uh, oh, yeah. Because I, I died on my ass here <laughs> a few times. Me too. Stand up. Do you, you ever get that thing when you were like a bit newer to the game? Yeah. And uh, you started to think that certain venues were against you. Oh, so yeah. you kill yourself before you. <laughs> died you know yeah at gigs and i had that here the last time i did it i can't remember who was comparing somebody good yeah i came on and got silence for 20 minutes could be an hour and a half of of it today jesus (laughs) christ i'm telling you and this curtain here was pulled across and you know when you're getting that serious silence where like you can hear the floorboards squeak and you can hear the smack of your mouth on the mic and all that shit And uh, then I went, anyway, so, yeah, it's my, it's my time. And, uh, and I couldn't find the gap in the middle of the curtain. So I was, like, fumbling around. And then I just had to give up, and I started pulling the end of the curtain and trying to get it up high enough for me to, like, crawl out. And I got off stage, and, you, you know, that horrible cold feeling you get. And then, then I heard the compare you know, try and drum up a round of applause, and then when it died down, he went, well, that was embarrassing. Oh, <laughs> no, that's why I hate it when Compare does that. They've but it's good to be back, guys. It's good to be back. <laughs> <laughs> we'll pull the curtain. It sounded like the curtain was pulled across as you were on. That's why I thought, <laughs> as I was on, a curtain was being closed slowly in front of me until that would be good. I want to say, I gave you the nice chair, right? When I, when I started, and I just remembered... How are they when different? I, I sat down very heavily. There's a big spring in the middle of this chair that's broken. <laughs> so I sat down very heavily like that, and there's a... It's like just from uh, Justin's house I've got a, I've now have a you're spring up my show, anus you? you're big on that I love that show you're on CBeebies as well you've got a lot in common with last week's guests I bedtime stories yeah like I saw it. a bit of it yeah. I, you, know, you, know, you know how fucking long you have to wait to get that gig <laughs> I didn't get offered that gig I begged for that gig <laughs> when, when my children were very very small of course because you know that's the way to be a hero to your kids get yeah. on bedtime stories so I thought you know you just walk into this shit they must be desperate <laughs> for celebs to do it so, I, you know, I used the context I had at CBBC to yeah. call some people at CBBS. I speak to the producer, and she's like, join the fucking queue, mate. <laughs> she goes, you're behind Dame Judy Dench, bitch. <laughs> Took me three years. My kids didn't even give a shit by the time I got there. <laughs> They're too old. They're ten and seven. They're like, why are we watching this shit? Uh, 
<laughs> did you meet any of the CBB stars backstage? Did you meet? I Bing? did. Yeah, did I, met Bing? Kerry, Bing? I met Kerry. I met Kerry, the one with, with the one arm. I know and, Kerry. Um, uh, the guy, what's his name? I, I was convinced he was gay. Right. I've got four kids. You know the little one. What's his name? <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm more interested in the female presenters on CBB. That, I, I, there's, there's some nice girls on CBB. I like the Welsh one. I fancied everybody on yeah. CBB. <laughs> when you got little babies, you just sat around the house, you know. So, yeah, yeah. I had feelings for Kerry for a long time. Yeah, and meeting nice. her is it's like they're so they're just so. Oh, they're so wholesome, you know. Yeah. Everyone's so wholesome on there. Just, yeah, they have to be now. You see everybody. It's not. You weren't on a long queue. They just had to take three years to check every single moment of your past. Just check there was nothing in there. Uh, but do you remember uh, Pliffy non de plume in Little Howard's Big Question? It was so mad when you said that because I don't think I thought about it since it happened. But it's, it's a stand. Howard Reed, right? Yeah, yeah. No, he's great. He's brilliant stand-up. Who he created like a sort of kind of a cartoon character, and he used to do these amazing live stand-up shows with a cartoon character on a screen that uh, I don't know if he voiced the character as well yeah and it was like Big Howard and Little Howard and there was an adult version of it where the cartoon character would swear and stuff and then he he realised that there was a much bigger market for a weird little cartoon character on stage yeah started doing these kids shows and they were a huge hit so then he had he turned it into a CBBC show And I auditioned for the role when I just when I first started acting. I just like the name, Plithy Nom de Plume. De Plume. Yeah. yeah. What, it was it's like an educational show. I right. can't remember <laughs> exactly uh, what I did on it. It was a long time ago. Yeah, no, that's um, why I asked about it. But yeah. <laughs> to see if it dressed yeah. you. You never know with these things sometimes. It was, a, it was crucial though because that, that got me like contacts at CBBC and the right. producer of this show um, was instrumental actually in... Um, hooking me up with a, a, a lady who worked at CBBC who um, was interested in this idea I had um, for a kid's show. Right. And it was, it was Ben Walker, the producer of this show, who, who got me that meeting and really pushed me Oi, to ben. get my ideas forward. So. What are you getting in meetings for? <laughs> 250 quid a week I'm giving you here. <laughs> uh, yeah, that got me my start in tennis. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, amazing. Cool. Uh, so, well, a bit like Lauren, because you started in music... I mean, you've mm. been, both very fascinating uh, life stories for you and Lauren, which, was, uh, which connected these two, uh, admittedly weak apart podcasts. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still very moved by last week's one, so it's still very heavily on my mind. Uh, but uh, both, you know, you were, you were um, both starting music and then have, have kind of branched out in lots of different ways. Uh, you were in North London, were northwest London, Wilsden. Yep, yep. Um, which is hard to find. I looked up Wilsden things to do to try and get, get in with you. <laughs> Did you ever go to the Museum of Brands, Packaging and Advertising? I had no idea that it's existed not even, in Wilsden. It's not no. even in Wilsden. It's the top thing. If you go, what, things to do in Wilsden, right. it's in Labrick Grove. Yeah, that's, 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 how, that's how bad... And that's the top thing to do in Labrick Grove. Well, it's the top even though carnivals in Labrick. No, it's the top thing to do in Wilston. Oh, right. And well, so get on the 52 the, to Labrick Grove. Get to Labrick Grove. To, right, okay. And it's not even, yeah, go, go to the Notting Hill Carnival. It's go to, go to Labrick <laughs> Grove and go and look at some packaging and advertising. Wow. That's what they think of you in Wilston. <laughs> no, so, I used to, like, it, I only ever had, like, one holiday when I was a kid. My, my dad used to always drive us in his Lancia. You remember Lancia's? Mm-hmm. Down to Cornwall, and we go to Cornwall every single year right. 16 years and um, <laughs> we'd go to like national trust houses and stuff like that and yeah. we'd have to change the area of Cornwall we went to every year because every year my dad would f- he'd want to go back and he'd go oh it's a fucking ruin now it's just full of tourists like we weren't tourists you know so we'd have to go to a more like obscure part of Cornwall every year that, 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 was, that was what I did with my summers but the rest of the year in Wilston 
It's just kicking around, smoking weed, drinking K's. K's, you remember K's? I don't remember K's. Yeah. Well, some of you, a lot of the audience are younger than me. We didn't have, like, amazing, sweet, alcoholic drinks when I was a kid. It was beer, hard spirits, cider, or Mad Dog 2020. That's what we had. <laughs> and uh, for us, it was K. Drink K until you puke. That was, that was what we did in Wilson. Yeah, it's not. I mean, there's a big uh, railway station there, isn't there? Wilson Junction. Yes, yeah, yes, good. there is. Yeah. I sometimes pass through there on the way up to other very, places. Very, very close, <laughs> very close to car giants. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. One of Europe's biggest second-hand car dealers. Oh well, I, if, if only I'd find out about that, that would have that would have been a great question. <laughs> uh, did you not like school very much? I'm I'm picking that up yeah, from your I was, music. I wasn't. I just wasn't an academic, and also I wasn't. Like, I thought, in my head, I was, like, super confident and, like, really cool. But every day I went to school, there was, like, every other boy obviously didn't share my, <laughs> my vision. So I just, I was, I was kind of, I was popular at, at primary school. Right. It's easy to be the man at primary school, do you know what I mean? You just have to watch a TV show that no one's seen yet or something like that, and it's enough to propel you. But, yeah, <laughs> secondary school was, like, ah. Uh, yeah, it was. I but didn't enjoy it. You're saying because you, you're called Doc, you, were, you got the nickname Doc Brown because you were nerdy and geeky. Yeah, I was like a geek, man. I was. I was. First of all, I was overweight as a, as a kid. Okay. I, I, I wear glasses. I always wore glasses, and um, you know, if anyone can remember what secondary school's like, kids don't need much, right? <laughs> it can be anything about you. So, gl- glasses, just glasses, would have been enough. Being overweight, that would have been enough. To have those two, as well as having my mum cut my hair, right? <laughs> and also not having uniform at school is a bitch. Like you, that seems cool. Yeah. It's not cool because unless you've got parents who buy you shit, my mum didn't buy me shit. Like she didn't believe in trainers that cost, you know, over ten pounds. Uh, so like the first day I went to school, I wore like a, a sort of polo shirt type deal with grey tracksuit bottoms and then like low cut DMs, like DM dress shoes, like black shoes oh, yeah, 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 yeah. with rubber soles. I mean, I do know because I wore those. I was asking for trouble. I wore those those as well because my mum and dad wouldn't let me have trainers or cool shoes. Right. And when I was at school, everyone got to DM boots, and the more the more uh, lace holes you had, the cooler you were. Yeah, I wish Uh, I had the boots. Yeah, but my mum wouldn't let me have the boots, but Mm. she let me buy the shoes. The shoes. You had DM shoes. I know. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like it's worse than not having DMs. Exactly. To be to be half well, literally halfway. (laughs) These they're orthopedic shoes as well, aren't they? Did not mine. They just looked awful. So, yeah, so I, was, I, I fancied myself as a bit of a know-it-all, even yeah. though I wasn't an academic. I had an answer for everything, you know. Yeah. And I was also a Back to the Future like maniac. I talk about it all the time. So I think that's where it came from. But I also remember kids calling me Browns as well, because we used to call cigarettes Browns. Right. And I never used to have money to buy fags, so I'd always bum them. But when there was only like two drags left, yeah. did you ever say that? Can I get a twos? Did anyone ever see? Can I get a twos? Yeah. So you get like the last two drags, you know. Okay. Just where the, the brown filter is, so people used to call me Browns as well. So I, I guess that it just came together. Yeah, and I, I I picked that name when I went into battle rap, you know, as a teenager because it just felt the natural thing to do. I hated going to rap nights and seeing people called like Shinobi the Destroyer. You know, I was like, <laughs> no one calls you that, bro. No one calls you that. You know, so I, I just thought, yeah, just be the name that you know that I got teased with, and then 
flip it on them. Yeah. Well, it's you know, it's a cool, it is a cool. I mean, and you're, it's so hard to believe because you see, when I, I, I first met you probably in 2007 or something when maybe you're in come back. I, I was sort of come back in the stand up circuit, mm. circuit and you were starting up doing stand up, mm. and you always seem so cool. Actually, out of all the people that I, you know, that, and those new breed of people that I worked with at that time, you and Jack Whitehall, I just think you, you two are just definitely going to be massive. Wow. Because well, because you both because you both had the look and you were both really confident and funny. You had talent as well. I mean, not saying Jack. <laughs> you had, a, you had, a, you had a talent, which is cheating, of being able to, you know, rap and stuff. Yeah, I was often told that I, w- I was cheating, and I, I, I didn't really, know, I didn't really know anything about stand-up before I did it. You know, I'd not, I'd not watched any of it. No. And I guess maybe the reason I came across as cool was because I didn't really see the enormity of what I was doing. I don't think I really respected the craft in 2007. I just. Uh, you know, I think the first time I got on stage and did stand-up was February 2008. But I was writing f- sort of silly songs at the end of 2007. Right. Again, I was working with Ben Walker, you know, yeah. at Radio 4, and that was my start, like, in Why comedy. Why are you giving him all the work? <laughs> I owe a lot of my career to that dude, man. Like, he did, he did a lot for me. And, um, I've, done, I've done a lot for him. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just didn't... I to- the perfect example is, is my first gig, right? Yeah. So, I was, like I said, I was working with Ben and I was working with another uh, producer at Radio 4 called uh, Paul Schlesinger. Oh, yeah, I know and, and he was one of the guys who said, I don't get you. Like, you write uh, gags for us, you write funny songs for us, you've been a performer, and yet you don't do stand-up, you know? And I was just like, well, why am I going to do that? Like, this, I'm not a joke. And, uh, and he brought me down to this night and told me to go up and tell my story in like an entertaining way because it was yeah. an interesting story and that's what I did but there were no laughs and I didn't care I just, it didn't mean anything to me yeah. I, like, I, I'd always watch comedy always but in the same way that anybody watches comedy I watch sitcoms you know yeah. I loved sitcoms from when I was a little kid but the only stand-up I'd watch before I did stand-up was um, Eddie Murphy and Peter Kay Right, <laughs> and that was because my mum, my mum had a VHS of, of Peter Kay, yeah. and she had um, a, a Eddie Murphy gig from when he was like twenty-one on on record. You know the vinyl where he's got yeah, the little yeah. bone, the little flower in his hair. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's really raw. You know, it's nothing like raw or delirious. You know, it's really, really rugged. And that was all I had. Right. And I used to rem- like memorize the Eddie Murphy bits and, and do them at school and stuff. But I, I had no inkling that there was thousands of you guys <laughs> doing this uh, as a living, and that, that it was a living. I had no yeah. idea, no idea at all. So it, to me, there was no weight. Or I just always thought someday I'm going to have a number one rap record. It's going to happen. You know? yeah. And for the minute, you know, this Ben Walker guy is getting me money. It's good. You know, I'll do that for a bit and see see where it leads. But yeah. I never, I never thought it would lead on to, you know, doing proper gigs, tours, acting, all the things that it's led to for me is bonkers. But stand up is. That's the foundation, you know. But I think that's interesting to have come in it from a, a completely different direction because it's, you know, but also it's, it's interesting because it's the, the circuit, certainly the circuit that we're on, is quite predominantly white, I think, isn't it? Yeah, big so, time. so there, it, and there is a black circuit and there's, yep. a, there's yep, different I've done circuits. That too. But yeah, so, but it's, so it, to like, to come into it as a, as a, 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 a black guy is to, mm. you know, is to, you have to come at it from a different direction to make it work. But I think what's interesting with, with you is because obviously you, you're, is your dad white and mm-hmm. your mum's black? The weird way around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and so, but you know, you're talking about that—that that it's that you know, you're as much white as you're black, yeah. but no one would call you white. I saw you talking about this. In, yeah, in that, an that was a, that was a bit. But that's in, a, that's in, a, in, in in a tour yeah. a couple of years ago. You know, like you know, when you hit that amazing spot. I mean, you would have hit it years and years ago. Um, no, no, but you know what I'm saying. I'm, this is this is. This is this is a huge this is a huge compliment because some stand-ups never fucking hit this point, right? I see stand-ups ten years older than Richard who still haven't hit the point where they realise you should be writing about some shit that means something to you. Yeah. Not just thinking, oh, this is really funny. How do I get to that hilarious crescendo yeah. with a bunch of bullshit that never happened to you? <laughs> oh, it was crazy. I did the most crazy thing you've ever heard of. No, you didn't, bro. You're fucking boring. I know you. You know. <laughs> Whereas when I first saw you, I was like, fuck, this is it. This is it, you know? You were talking about real life issues and shit that was clearly important to you. And the passion made it even funnier. But it was about something as well, yeah. you know? And it took, it took me a long time to realize that. But as soon as I clocked it and it was that tour, I was like, fuck, I'm just going to write. It doesn't, even if there's no jokes, I'm going to write two pages on what the fuck I want to talk about right now. Yeah, yeah. And then I'll find the funny in it. But almost that changed everything. But almost having like having a uh, a uh, Peter K video and an Eddie Murphy let, record. Yeah, on vinyl. but that almost sort of sums it up, doesn't it? You're gonna, you're gonna have a more black and a more white. <laughs> yes, I, never, I never thought about that. I never thought about that. Those That's together. true. That's what I'm gonna do. That's true. But because when you you know you're doing your rap, you decide to wear a cardigan in the rap. You were talking about this to Adam though, weren't you? Yeah. So that was but that was the way of getting that nerdy element of you as well as yeah, the cool element of yeah, you together. Yeah, but again, with, as with everything of, of, of my stand-up, it wasn't planned, you know. I wore cardigans because I genuinely thought they looked good, you know. <laughs> and, and, uh, and yeah, it just, it just hit me that, yeah. that, that one night, because I never had an opener, like I was saying to Adam, I never had an opener. Yeah. And then I just looked down at myself and how ridiculous it must have looked <laughs> trying to tell people that I rapped and now I'm wearing cardigans. And, and, and that was my first sort of, opener I stumbled across it yeah. and that was that was the nature of everything that I did in in those early years of stand-up but I guess like what you're saying about seeing me and thinking oh this guy seems like fully formed or whatever like you gotta understand February 2008 my first gig I was 30 years old with a child yeah my missus was pregnant I had a mortgage I was fucking broke I was doing I entered so you think you're funny not to be on fucking television I, it was five grand. I wanted that fucking five grand badly. When I lost, I was pissed. You know? Yeah. It was like, oh, the most important things you got, you got this. Five. Fuck you, man. I wanted that five grand. <laughs> big time. That was a, it was a big final, though. Like, all, all the guys in that, like, household names now, yeah. man. Like, yeah, Josh Widdicombe. Yeah. Um, Sean Walsh. There were other people that didn't sound like they both had nasal problems. There was other people. There was, <laughs> there was Sarah Pascoe. Um, I hear Shard, Daniel Sloss. Do you know what I mean? It was like everybody in that went on to to, to, to big things. So, you know, I was obviously among good company, but on the night I didn't give a shit. I wanted that five grand. (laughs) But again, that's an unusual (laughs) thing. I know a lot of those younger comics are sort of so devoted to comedy and they don't have anything in their lives mm. of any, of any importance so they can concentrate on them. Certainly for me, that was, you know, that's what I sort of realised in my current stand-up show is all through my 20s and 30s, comedy was all that mattered and yeah. I didn't have anything at all to tie me down to anything else, which is bad in a way. I, th- I, mean, you know, I think having a family 
I mean, you weren't like young, young. You were like you were twenty eight or whatever when you mm. had, had a baby. So it's not like ridiculously young, but it's mm. quite young for a, nowadays, and it's yeah. quite young for a comedian. And to have that responsibility, do you find that kind of grounded you and, and did make you concentrate more on the work? And, and yeah, game? I mean, like everything was important, Richard, yeah. at the time. You know, like everything had mega, mega weight. You know, I don't, I don't come from money. I didn't have anything to sort of rest back on. I didn't have like a, a sort of a, a, a fallback that I could go on. And it, you you got to look at it from my wife's point of view, man. Like, you know, we'd had this relationship that had been through its ups and downs. You know, I've been I've been in rap. I've been traveling with, like with bands and stuff. Yeah. I've been through all sorts of crazy shit, traveling, being away and stuff. We got pregnant, and um, I was still doing the same dumb shit. And then you know, I met Ben, and we started doing this comedy stuff. And then I had to come home and say to my wife, you know, and this was at the same time after like two weeks of looking for a proper job, right? But like when when I I was about to go and do um, uh, So You Think You're Fun, the very first round, I was also looking for a job and I had an interview with um, uh, Kick It Out, you know, the anti-racism charity. So I was looking for like a proper, just a normal job. And my wife had been carrying me for, for years. So I wasn't making proper money from rap. You know, yeah. she and she was a teacher. She was grafting and had a baby and carrying both of us. And I was like stay at home dad, like just like a high dad. Like, you know, I found it easier to be around a baby sometimes. And just like wake and bake, you know, and you're on the same level as the baby. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you can just kind of communicate and like you're on the same. It's dope. And, um, and then so imagine you like, don't need drugs to be in that state. I can tell <laughs> Imagine coming home and saying, babe. This is the plan. <laughs> I'm going to enter a competition where I do dick jokes and I might win five grand. <laughs> it was just like, just to see her face. But bless her, she, she, she believed in me, man. Yeah. I don't know why, but she believed in me and she supported me through all of this. Bonkers. And did you meet? Were you working as a? You worked as a youth group worker. Yeah, that was my main job whilst I was doing rap. Because, like I say, yeah. rap occasionally paid enough to live off, and then like it would be nothing for ages. Yeah. So my my main job was like a youth worker because my mum was a social worker, and she used to do um, like these sort of West London retreats. So she'd take kids from troubled families, and we'd go out to the countryside. And I used to help. But when I was a kid, I just tag along. Yeah. And then when I got to like 15, 16, I'd start volunteering and helping out with the younger kids. And then in my first proper summer, you know, when you need a summer job at that age, um, she was like, oh, we'll talk to Westminster Play Association because it'd be easy to get a job as a youth worker. You've already got volunteer experience. And it was. I did the interview. It was fine. Yeah. And um, so from there, I just that was what I did. And then at uni in the holidays, I'd do the same thing, youth work. Yeah. So as soon as I graduated, I just went back into it again except I started my own like after school club Um, and I started a little charity well I didn't start a charity I joined a charity that was run by one woman for kids in my area like in Wilson and Kilburn and that who at the time were like um, some of them were like unaccompanied minors from overseas like asylum seeking kids and refugee kids so it was for for that crowd there and that was like a big eye opener and I, I did all of that like alongside the, in the evenings trying to trying to be a rap star yeah but um yeah that was my main job i'd do that like one or two days a week so now you've stopped doing that there's loads of refugee kids with nowhere to go because you're doing comedy uh, <laughs> like I'm, a, I'm like a patron of the, i'm a patron of the charity still um but yeah you know like i'll still do as much little bits and pieces as i can yeah. with young kids young offenders and all this stuff like i 
like my life could have gone a number of ways. That's the way I see it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And I also think my the way of I've entertained people over the years has been based largely around rap, which is a street culture that I picked up from the street. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? So it it, it always feels a little bit. Um, uh, I don't know, it feels there's something cold to me about just going, oh, no, I'm a star now, do you know what I mean? Yeah, all that stuff is wh- whatever. No, that, that made me. And the, the reason that I've got like any swagger or any game or anything, it comes from the street. It comes from like a lot of the, the dudes that I, I, I grew up around sure. that I was in awe of because they had so much confidence. It wasn't me, I stole it from them. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, of So to not... To sort of not acknowledge that or not be a yeah. part of it in any way, I just don't think I could do that. But it's weird. It's, it's obviously very admirable and uh, and it's the way things should be. But that's the the country. I think the problem with our country at the moment is that people don't do that. That people become successful. Oh man! I mean, certainly business, and then they're forgetting. You know, that scary... it takes all those people to get you to this place, and they're not. You know, it's a so big you... time. I think it's a scary time in history, though. Yeah. You know, because like when, when when we were kids, I think there was like these sort of there was a def- There was such a difference between the working class, middle class, upper class, and whatnot. And now I say, like the money I, I'm making now, like if I was making it in even the early nineties, I'd be I'd be loaded. Do you know what I mean? I'd, I'd be I'd be living the high life. But your money doesn't go as far as it did. So there's middle class people all over the country struggling, and obviously working class people still struggling like fuck. And and what happens is people get very, very scared about life. So as soon as they make a little bit more than the next man, they're gone. They're yeah. gone. They don't want to bring anything to their community. I've, I've lived in London my entire life, right? And the way I've seen it change, like my street now, half the houses are like empty. They're just owned by pe- faceless people that I never see. You know, and the, the people who used to live, they're sold up and they're gone, you know, straight away. And, and then, then there's all sorts of crazy foreign investment and stuff, but nothing new is being brought to the community. People aren't that interested in community anymore. But community is what makes an area. It's what makes a city. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, I think it's a weird time. Yeah, I think, you know, well, I think it is for lots of reasons, but it's, yeah, it is, that's... Uh... A lot of fear, do you yeah. know what I mean? No, well, definitely. It's, you know, it is, it's bizarre. And, yeah, you know, I was lucky enough to buy a house 10, 15 years ago um, you know, I had a good job and got a nice house, but now I want to move, and you kind of realise you can you can't really you can't go, move, bro. You can't move anywhere. You can't move. Let <laughs> me tell you something. <laughs> Two thousand and five, right? So I'm like doing youth work a couple of days a week, and I'm rapping the rest of the time. My missus is carrying us on a teaching wage, yeah. and uh, you know, like I say, we get pregnant. We got got to get a place. We're staying in a bed sit in Dalston. You know, it's horrible. Shared a wall with a pub called the Yucatan. I don't know if anyone knows Dawson. This place is fucking insane back then, right? It's a bit better now, but at the time it was just run by Irish gangsters. Had a fucking cage in the basement if you fucked up. You know, you get stuck down there. We shared a wall with these pricks, right? And um, in the alleyway outside our front window of the lounge, there'd be drug deals, prostitutes would come up there with their tricks and shit. It was disgusting. And my missus is about to drop. You know, we've got to get a place. We've got to get a place. So we hit, hit up a local estate agent and we were looking around places around Stoke Newton and Dalston. We looked at a couple places in Stokey and, you know, three bedroom, four bedroom places, houses, you know. And dude, dude would be like, yeah, so this is the place. I'm looking at it and be like, wow, it's amazing. Like, how, how, what's the damage? He'd be like, this we could, we could do for t- 285 grand. I'd be like, dude, I'm not a fucking millionaire. 285 grand <laughs> yeah. for a four bedroom house. It's crazy. 
Yeah. You know? Yes. Yes, <laughs> motherfuckers. Yes. Right? So, you know, we see this place and it's like ex-local authority. It's on an estate. I grew up on an estate, so I'm thinking, it's fine. I can do estate life. It's like 200 grand. You know, we get like, because my wife's a teacher, you get like a, a 50 grand uh, like grant from um, the Metropolitan Home Ownership, and we're in. And we just thought, yeah, we'll be here for a couple years, and then we'll buy like another place, bigger, yeah. and the family will grow. And no, we're not going <laughs> fucking anywhere. We're there for life. We could sell that place now and buy like a, a garage or something like that, and just all crowd in there with a candle, you know? <laughs> It is, I mean, should, you know, everyone should definitely, it's not in my interest to say this, everyone should revolt and th- overthrow everyone who owns a house, because it's, it's, you know, you're never going to get back on it. It's nonsense. And, you know, you go to other countries, everyone just rents and they're happy. Yeah. Like, I, I, we've just got this, I don't know, an Englishman needs his castle or whatever. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. And people say, hey, dude, you're on the housing ladder. Great. I'm on the bottom rung and I'm fucking staying there. You know what it's like to be famous and you live on a council estate, you don't know what the fuck that's like. Every day I come out of my flat and kids are like, dude, why do you live here? (laughs) The kids don't understand it. Why are you driving that? Dude, it's hard out here. They think you get on a British TV show and you're a millionaire. Yeah. (laughs) Dude, I'm not Jonathan Ross out here, you know? Not the same way. Well, you're you're on a lot of stuff, though. You are doing really well. I got to, man, because the yeah, pay is shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> got me on everything. But it's really amazing what you know. The way you, I mean, you've written a kids' book and you're writing another. You're writing another kids' book. You got two kids. Books. It was like a two book deal yeah, yeah. with Walker. But t- let me tell you, the second book is tough. Right. Yeah, you have anything like a hit with the first one, they want the same thing. Yeah. Again, you want to do something different. They're like, yeah, it's not like this first one. And like, people don't want the same fucking book again. They want <laughs> no. something different. So it's it's hard, but. Um, I'm, it's one of the things I'm most proud of because you know when you I mean you know this man you do a great show and you think that was the greatest piece of stand up I think I've done in my career I, everything was perfect but it's, it's like gone into the ether you know you didn't film it or whatever like with the book it just feels like a new generation of kids is going to enjoy it every year and it'll just be there long after I'm gone and my kids going to have it give it to their kids whatever yeah. It feels good. Yeah. It feels like a proper achievement. Yeah. You know? And I think kids will still... Kids' books are probably the books that will survive because I think kids will still want to have books. Whereas Let's adult books so. might not exist as, because kids' books are... You know, are yeah, thing, I mean, I, I was at the Hay on Y Festival for the first time um, just a couple of weeks ago. And I, up until that point, I had been very much of the opinion, oh, books, they're, they're dead. You know, everyone's on the Kindle. There's bad deals for authors and all yeah. of that. But actually, hey, on why? Like, I was like, Jesus! Like, the authors are like rock stars there, man, <laughs> and and people are buying books by the boatload. So I I think, you know, it's it's, it's all cycles, man. The Kindle did have a big uh, input into like it just broke right into the money that was going into like paper books. But I think books are making a comeback. Just let's see, look at vinyl. Vinyl's coming back as well. I think you know these things come around. People who are fans of art want it in their hands. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you ever think sometimes like with the way the way people listen to music now and I'm including myself in this I'm not just talking about all these bloody kids you know we buy albums like just straight off iTunes or whatever I don't even know what the songs are called anymore it's just like oh track four yeah track four is a big one I don't know what the names of the artists are when I buy an album as 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 a teenager I would study 
everything. I wouldn't like. I would read everything on the sleeve yeah. of the vinyl and, until the album was finished. You know, I'd, I'd know everything about it. I'd know what everybody looked like. You know, and I'd be desperate to go and see him. But I suppose the one, the one big positive, isn't it, in, in music is that kids now are desperate to go to the shows to yeah. see these kind of enigmas. You know, <laughs> that made track four. And what do they look like? What do they look like? I need to see them. You know. Yeah. So live music is back in a big yeah. way as well, which is, is a positive thing, I suppose. Cool. And I mean, you're doing lo- loads of that. I mean, it's a really interesting lot of acting you're doing because you're still doing lots of comedy stuff, but you're doing qu- quite serious parts yeah. uh, and drama parts. Yeah. It's... I mean, I, you know, I never imagined a, a life in, in comedy. You know, <laughs> when, I, when I was a really little kid, I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to act. And I was always in the school plays and stuff in, in primary school and even in, in secondary school for a bit. But then what happens is you fall in with a crowd of boys and it hits 3.30 and they're like, we're going to buy an ounce and then we're going to see like Marvin, he's going to get us some beer and then my man's got the new Sega Mega Drive game, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. What are you doing? Oh, I'm going to like pretend to be a tree in like the drama <laughs> studio. You, like Everything, you know... It just there's too much pressure on on a young man, so I just gave it up, and it's one of my biggest regrets because I think I would have I would have just got into it earlier and I would have had a lot more experience. But you know, that's the way it goes. So I always wanted to do dramatic acting, yeah, yeah, and I I just thought it wasn't for people like me. So the fact that stand up brought me into comic acting, and then I was there, I was like, oh my god, this is it, I'm doing it, you know. And I think with comic acting, it's it's way harder than dramatic acting. When you're around all the drama people, like I am most of the time these days. They, a lot of them think it's like, oh, that's dumbing down. Oh, yeah, I'll just do a little comedy. No, bro. <laughs> comic acting is so hard because you're not even getting the laughs. You get the laugh the first time you do the line, but then you've got to do it like 12 more times. Yeah. Nothing's funny 12 times in a row, like, repeated. So, um, unless you're Stuart Lee, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so... Yeah, for me, it feels like the most natural thing in the world. But I always keep one foot dipped in in comedy because comedy is what made me. And um, I just think it's a beautiful thing. Like, I love the people in comedy, the people around it. And uh, I don't think I'll ever leave it alone. Also, I feel like stand-up's the one thing that I could maybe do forever. Like, acting all of a sudden... I mean, if you're a woman, fuck. Like, you hit 30 and you've got to play grandmas, you know? (laughs) And if you're a man, you know, you've got a shelf life as well. And then there's the new guys. And stand-up, like... Since I got into it and realised how many of us there are, all my favourite stand-ups are over 40. I, I, don't, I don't like any of the young ones. <laughs> they don't say shit to me, man. Like, I've got serious problems, you know what I'm saying? I want to see this reflected on stage. Well, I think, I think it's, well, again, similarly with Jack, with both of you. Hey, you, know, you, you, know, can... like, you know, like, um, dude, man, like, dude, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. come on. No, bro, no one knows what the fuck you're talking about, man. Go out and have some fucking life experience and come back. I think you need that. I mean, I think you clearly have some life experience already anyway, but it's, but it's you know, I think the older you get, the more, you know, it's a shame that I think a lot of stand-ups who could be amazing stand-ups are taken away and end up doing other stuff and then they don't come back to it. So I think yeah. it's, you know, it's, and I said this to Jack Whitehall as well, but I mean, Jack does come back and keep doing stand-up. Mm. And I think, you know, I think he, if, he, if he does stand-up, he'll be an incredible stand-up. Mm. Um, but he's doing so many other things and acting as well, but the same with you. But I think as long as you're drawn back into doing it and want to do it, then I think, you know... I think well, it's, it's the one thing that where you can... I mean, stand-up's important on so many levels, 
But like if I say something on stage that I've written and 500 strangers laugh, to me the, the most important thing is, 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 is not always that I'm happy that they found it funny. I'm happy that they got the idea. That, that spontaneous laugh means that that idea that I had has legs. It makes sense. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, 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 it's got meaning. It's got something that touches 500 strangers. So it, like, it must have some substance. And that fascinates me from a point of view of, of a creator because maybe that could become something else. Maybe that could be, end up being my life's work. You, know? <laughs> you, you just don't know. But that's the beauty of stand-up. And that's why I think I, I will always come back to it. It's just so hard to to judge because yeah. I do enjoy these other things so much well, you know, and, and also stand-up's fucking terrifying <laughs> in a way that nothing else is it is right. and if, you know if you're getting the work as, I mean as an actor if you're getting the work then you do I've got to milk it for now right yeah. I've got because it's really hard I mean, we, you've been working with Ricky Gervais you're working with him again I was watching the um, that might be the first time some people saw you in comedy anyway that you did the Equality Street yeah. song which was for comic relief was it that's right yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it was um, it was probably the first time I sort of came into like a wider yeah. public consciousness with what I was trying to do comedically. Yeah. And, and yeah, I definitely got, got Ricky to thank for that. But it was, it was just a, a silly idea. We'd started talking because he'd invited me to come and open for him a year before, right. in 2012. That was the first time he just called my phone out of the blue. He got my number off a promoter and called me. He'd seen me on YouTube. You right. know? And he called me and asked me to open for him at some gigs he was doing in... Scandinavia I went over there and opened for him and then you know we had a few beers and we chatted afterwards and he said I've got this idea for a TV show called Derek and he showed me this little trailer thing he'd recorded just himself he hadn't shown it to anybody you know and he was like this is the character and I I just want to crowbar you into an episode like when we get back to London come round and we'll we'll go through some ideas you know I was like wow okay Uh, so the next thing I knew we were like in his office at his house just like throwing ideas out there about a character who could walk into this old people's home, you know? And um, that's where the whole kind of odd couple thing started, really. Because when we, in our downtime, he'd get the guitar, you know? (laughs) Because we're both failed musicians, right? So we had a lot to to talk about in that respect. And we'd literally sit around and he'd strum the guitar and I'd freestyle rap and he'd sing some stupid shit and we'd just try and make each other laugh. Yeah. And we actually wrote about seven or eight songs together. Right. And, and one of them was Equality Street and it just made us laugh so hard. <laughs> and uh, he was like, this, we, we got to do this. We got to do it as, I'll do it as Brent, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah, but for what? <laughs> and he just thought, you know, Comic Relief, if it's shit, like if it's not funny at all, people have to go, yeah, but it's for a really good cause. So. <laughs> You know, fair play. And well, we did it, and people yeah. loved it. So. Well, why are we like watching it again? Which I don't know if I picked up on the first time. It's been a while since I saw it the first time. It was obviously David Brent's being his usual, attempting to be right yeah. on, but fucking everything up. Yeah. But your character as well is the same in the other direction, right? What I love yeah, about totally. it is that he's, he's all upset with David Brent, and oh no, but then, then he gets into his own... Yeah, yeah, because people are like, oh, in you're so cool in yeah. it. And I'm like, dude, are you not listening to what the lyrics are? His first lyric is, I'm like John Lennon, except I do imagine there's a hair. That's his first, that's his opening gambit. I'm like John Lennon, but way better, right? So, and that, that was a lot, a lot of that was Ricky's idea. He was yeah. like, you've got to be like, you know, sort of nice but dim. Yeah, that, yeah. Like that's your character. Like, yeah. just you think you're amazing, but you're actually a bit. But you're of a sort bit of throwing of away and they're throwing away the the, the the gay stuff as well. There's, you know, he's, you're really kind of trying to distance yeah, yourself. Yeah, from like the gay you stuff. know, I, I knew so many rappers that were homophobic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was like, I'm gonna play it 
real, like an, a stupid rapper. Because I'm my stupid rappers, are my inspiration. I, yeah. I love, I love dumb rappers. They're my favourite thing ever. And so you're in the film Life on the Road, which yeah. is not out as we speak. I couldn't believe it when he said, "We're going to make a movie out of this." I was like, "You're out of your mind. <laughs> you're out of your mind." You know, like he's the king of burying like a perfect thing. You know, the office extras. Derek, whether you like, like these things or loathe them, you've got to say... In fact, even if you loathe them, even more so. Two series, done, you know? Some people take shit way too far, man. And with comedy, that's a dangerous game to play. So I was very, very surprised. But, you know, he had some good ideas. He wanted me to be a part of it from the ground up, from a blank piece of paper up. And he brought in Tom Basden as well to help out. And if any of you know Tom Basden, if you're you know, big comedy fans, you should know he's one of the best writers we've got in this country man i think he's so underrated um so you know we had a good little trio there working the thing up and um geez i just hope people like it i mean i, I don't know it's it's, it's 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 on ricky obviously i'm gonna say that now I'll get my excuses <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's ricky's movie but um yeah you know the the world is full of harsh critics now yeah so you know maybe maybe i'll, I'll be flavor of the month this month and the film will come out and everyone will hate me. I don't know. Oh, well, you know, I don't, either way, I think, I think you'll probably get the plaudits and the brickbats either yeah. way around. But, I mean, it is, it is so, uh, it's so difficult because people are going to be uh, ready. You know, it's, it's, it, like you say, it's, such a, it's a risk to bring it back. But also, I feel, what, well, Steve Coogan bringing back Partridge, I think, has been a masterstroke. I think the stuff, yeah. the stuff he's done... I think Steve's opened it out as well to, yeah. like, super fans of the sort of Partridge world if you like you know he's got those two i mean loads of you must have read the book right the partridge book or like if you've read it and you haven't listened to the audio you did it the wrong way around because the audio is fucking amazing but um i noticed when i was listening to it that there was like two other guys that had helped not just amando but two other guys that had helped right and they they're like super fans of partridge so they understand like a lot of us the partridge world and wouldn't it be funny if partridge did this and i guess steve had enough humility to be able to say let's open it out to these guys and, and I think that's probably helped freshen it up as well obviously Steve is amazing he's going to do it anyway but I think that was a masterstroke definitely getting like some fresh blood in there mm. with, with Patrick as well is a fucking legend man was he I don't think he was involved in the um Okay. It's just that is Patrick Marble. That, right that is Patrick Marble. He's, right. like, he's like Hodor. Uh, Patrick Marble. <laughs> Patrick Marble actually wrote the, uh, or was on board to write the, uh, the original screenplay for uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Now, there's a fact that a lot of you won't know. And, and then, uh, what's her face? E.L. James was like, who's this prick? You know, right. I can do this. I can boss this. And how, how, right, how right she was. <laughs> Patrick Marble's a great playwright, man. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's a nice, he's a nice man. I, I, I saw we had a we had a, uh, a, bit, a, of a thing. Too, we had a bit of a thing, but uh, only over like twenty or so years. And I, uh, <laughs> I saw him. Well, I didn't think he would take any of it seriously, but he was quite hurt by it. I saw him recently and. Oh, really? I, mean, I don't know why I should apologise to him, but I, yeah. I did. <laughs> okay. I'll ask, yeah, let's get out of this Patrick yeah, Marber unpleasantness and I'll ask you some emergency questions. I have emergency questions. <laughs> um, I've, got, I've got some I've written myself and some I've got off the internet. Uh, so, uh, if you had, would you rather date a woman who was a six-foot-tall vulva, and that's all she was? 
Volvo. A, a vul- Volvo. Vulva, like a vagina is. Oh, right. A, a vagina is a way to understand it, but that's right, not okay. the correct term. Or a woman who, instead of having the vaginal area, has instead there another woman. <laughs> what, a little tiny woman? Yeah, a tiny woman's in there, but she's internally inside. So you have to find her. Well, you just have to open some curtains and she'll be there. Right. Uh, which of those would you rather date? The, uh, you can ask subsidiary questions. The, uh, the, uh, when I asked this in the first week, um, she doesn't have arms, but what she would have is like some well, the false... Big the big vagina. The big vagina's but she has like false arms to give her the appearance of being more like yeah, a real just, human being. I just think the big vagina would be more gross. Yeah. I, I, I love vagina. Let's not that get that twisted. I, I love it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I absolutely love it. I yeah. adore it. Um, Wouldn't you like to be able like to get, a six get inside one, one? To, like, to stand inside, I think it would be creepy. <laughs> that said, it would also be creepy to insert my penis into this little crevice that you're talking about, yeah. this curtain crevice, and then have two tiny hands jerk me off. That would be fucking creepy as well. That would be creepy, but I think yeah. I could normalise it. Okay. More than the big vagina. We're only talking about dating, but it's interesting you jump straight in, then straight in. Oh, yeah, sorry, I forgot yeah. that bit. You've <laughs> assumed the date has gone very well. <laughs> I, I put it out, man, I what can I tell you? This is a new one. What's the most expensive thing you've bought that you have never or rarely used? Oh, God, that's such an embarrassing <laughs> question because I've definitely done that a few times. I've, I keep doing it with all sorts of... Um, uh, the most expensive... Oh, I just bought two tickets to Istanbul. Oh, yeah. And then pussied out when some dude got killed. Uh, yeah. 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 Did you know there was, like, stories of terrorism and stuff yeah. like that, and now I'm just not going. Right. And I called up, and I was like, hey, like, I, I booked insurance and stuff when I bought the tickets, um, but now, like, I don't want to go. And they, they said, why? And I said, well, you know, dude got killed, and, you know, there's terrorism and stuff. And they were like, yeah, that don't wash with us. <laughs> so all my money's gone. Oh, I think man. that's probably the most recent waste, yeah. waste of a grand. You can't go Hotel, anywhere. That's the same. Paid for parking in advance, like like, yeah. like like a proper dad. Like I paid for parking. Yeah. So that one still hurts a little bit because the date's actually coming up when I should be in yeah. Istanbul. You should go. You can still go. It's going to be fine. No, no, I, I cancelled it, man. I just had to. I had to sort of wipe it from the memory. And the most annoying thing is like. Hey, they're really positive. They're like, hey, you can get, um, you know, you can get the uh, the surcharge back or whatever it is, which is like fifty p. Yeah. <laughs> but the grand's gone. Oh. Yeah. Sorry. Wow. Just... It's you... going to be fine as well, right? In- Istanbul is going to be fine. Everywhere's yeah? fine. Everywhere's would, fine. Would everybody go Istanbul if I gave you a ticket now? Yeah. See, I feel like such a prick now. Yeah. <laughs> I think the thing is, everywhere is dangerous now. It's, you know, it's, the, so the, the crazy thing is, London's dangerous yeah, now. Like, yeah. London's a target. Yeah. You know, but because I live here, I'm like, what? Bring a terrorist round. <laughs> Bring him round. Well, ho- Wilston. Hopefully, if we, if we voted Brexit, which we don't know at the point of recording, we'll be fine from terrorists, apparently. So that is fine. Because ISIS are all waiting to go, I can't wait. We'll just wait and see if Britain is in or out of the European Union. And if it's, if it's in the European Union, we'll go and bomb it. But if it's out, Dude, I'm that so is it. bored with that EU shit. Like, everybody who keeps barking at me, we've got to leave, we've got to stay. They're all just, like... They're barking up the wrong tree, frankly, because both their arguments, I'm just like... Dude, neither of these things interest me. Like, and I know it's important. I'm sure it is, but like, 
there was a we spent a long time like where the EU wasn't even a thing, right? And now it's a thing, and now we can't leave the thing. But if you do leave the thing, it's going to be dangerous. No, if you stay, it's going to be dangerous. Everybody's like, I just want someone to give me an argument where it's like, this is going to happen, and your you know your child will get rabies. Definitely, like guaranteed. Like I want, an, I want some guarantees. These motherfuckers telling me, oh, this is going to happen to the economy. How the fuck do you know? We we had a massive crash into where were you, the genius with what's going to happen in the economy in 2007? Where were you? Now you're chiming up. You know, I just I don't trust either side. No, they've done very. They've all done very badly. I've never been on the fence with a political decision, Rich. Right. Ever. It's, it's difficult. I've always known exactly what I'm doing. I was raised by some GLC, kick Maggie in the pussy motherfuckers, you know? I was raised left as you like. Like, my flat was crazy. We were, like, hiding, like, Irish dudes who people thought were terrorists, but they weren't. They were just, like, drunk weed smokers who hung out with the Jamaicans. You know, my flat was nuts. In the 70s, the 80s, you know, it was the place to go. It was red as you like, you yeah. know. So it, my, my decisions have always been straightforward. When I bought that flat that I told you about, who was my MP? Corbyn. Ah. This dude was round my door telling me, like, there's some shit going down. You, want, you, you might be interested, you know. I was like, I like the way this dude talks. And we, 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 we chat at the door. Yeah. And he was a cool guy, you know. And everything for me has been so crystal clear. And now I don't know what's going on. And you know who started this shit? Blair <laughs> he started the shit because I was like dude what are you doing let's not no 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 no. why'd you keep moving it there why'd you keep moving it there it's supposed to be over here he keeps pushing it there pushing it pushing it pushing it there and now they're all the fucking same yeah I don't know what to do I, well no I mean I'm beyond I think it's just what you feel I'm thinking you know, Hawaii yeah maybe <laughs> I think you know, but there's there's no there is no cogent argument, and that's what I think the I think the stay, the stay as in Europe people are mm. really fucked up because I think there are probably proper arguments about that, but they've got dragged into yeah, the they got dragged into they got dragged the, into the stupid lie. Level. The other side's definitely lying. I mean, I think Cameron is full of shit as well about this, <laughs> but guy, there yeah. there must be a way through. But I think it's just whether you feel that you hate immigrants. Or, or if you feel that there's a there's a positive, you know, I, my feeling about it is that we should look forwards in the world and move forwards, and maybe being united is a good thing. But it's only a feeling in the same way as yeah. the other person's thinking. Yeah, I don't like immigrants coming over and taking my job, which you know is totally equally as my, untrue. My, my feeling is like one world, you know, one race. So therefore, like, why shut yourself off? Then the other time, I'm like, yeah, well, you know, like, well, there's, there's some interesting things about leaving. And then I see that frog-faced motherfucker, like, Raj, <laughs> and, you know, Osborne. I'm like, I can't, I can't make a decision that they're making. I just can't do it. So, like, I'm stuck. I'm yeah. stuck. Well, we'll see. We'll know by the time this comes out. People yeah. listening to this will be living either in a, a paradise or a dystopia, one way or another, yeah. of yeah. their own making. I'm it, sure that wasn't one of your proper questions, then. We should probably move on from that. It's, it's all right. It's OK. It's OK. We can talk about anything you like. Uh, if you had to jump... This is a question from lifehacks.io. If you had to jump into a pool of something, what would it be? From what height? <laughs> I, uh, you will have to we'll have to email life hacks and ask I'm imagining from some I think you probably off a diving board I think we're, yeah. we're going I'd go for marshmallows man yeah I love the feel of them yeah I, 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 I used to dream about being able to pull endless ones from my pocket when I was right. a, when I was a little little I'm fat glad kid. it was your pocket yeah <laughs> 
I love them toasted. Yeah, they're nice. Uh, they just they do it for me, marshmallows. Yeah. yeah. So I think I'd go for marshmallows, man. But would you be d- d- scared of drowning in the marshmallows if you like? You dive in and then you go, oh, we start eating them, and then you're under loads of marshmallows. That'd be a horrific way to die, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Like well, you, you're, like you're enjoying it for a while and then <laughs> not like this. <laughs> well, it must be if you drown in something. You know, if you drown in beer, there must be a moment where the beer. Go, ooh. Yeah, you get a little. It's pretty good. I make quite quickly, oh no, this isn't that good anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You drown in lots of cocaine. Yeah. I I can't swim, you know, so I mean, I've I've just learned a couple strokes for the first time in my life. Okay. Definitely not beer. You can't swim through marshmallows. I don't think anyone can. No, no, no. But I just, I just. I just fancy my chances more in a deep pool of marshmallows than a deep pool. It'd be nice. It'd be an interesting experience. You know, I don't think anyone else will give that answer. And I'm going to ask everyone. I like to think that you'd actually make the sound flump when you hit it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a question from Ali's Rand. D- d- oh, Ali's. Oh yeah, Ali's Randomage. That's why I got it right last time. Have you ever flown a kite? Yes. Have and you? Weirdly, it yeah. was. The first time ever. I don't know right. why my parents restricted me from kite flying, but I never flew one as a kid. It's dangerous um, around all the But I flew tracks. one on Brighton Beach last summer. Yeah? Yeah, last year. It was, was very it? enjoyable. What kind of kite was it? Uh, I don't know, some, some cheap one one of my kids got for Christmas, yeah. and um, they get bugging me to fly it, and I was like, no, it's not windy enough. It probably was. I just couldn't be asked to get out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> but we took it down to Brighton last summer, and I did it, and it's... It's really, really enjoyable. Except yeah. I'm so shit, I nearly decapitated a couple people right. that were like sat low down. One of them was like a topless Swedish family. Right. It's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> that was a really weird sight seeing like a you know f- woman in her mid forties and her sort of like late teens, maybe right. early twenties daughter. Yeah. I think you're topless. on a nudist beach. I think that's Brighton right. Beach, bro. Yeah. On those rocks. I wouldn't put my naked butt on those rocks. <laughs> <laughs> this is another question from Ali's random uh, randomage. Okay. Have you ever demolished a wall or a building? <laughs> Which is, you know, quite a leap between those two things. Have um, you ever demolished anything? I've definitely done both. But this, this, the second one is probably... Uh, it's more debatable. All right. The first, the first one, I, I definitely demolished the wall with my mates when I was about 15 when we just, like, roam around, like, hurting things. Yeah. You know? Never people. We weren't that kind of group, but, like, we'd smash things up yeah, all yeah. the time. Um, but uh, I got a, a role in a, a thriller in 2010 or 11. It's this HBO thing called Hunted. Okay. No one watched it. But I was, like, a hitman in it. I killed lo- loads of people, and there was one scene where I blew up an entire building, wow. killed two hundred people, and it like just the way it collapsed was amazing. Wow. But technically, I don't think you could argue that that was me. I think I think we can. Did you really kill two hundred people? <laughs> <laughs> I just did it at the wrong moment. The crew were all in having the dinner. Uh, <laughs> that was a good. They were good questions, aren't they? I think there was. I thought that'd be a bad question. I didn't. We, me, and my friends used to go to Shipham Wood, and there was like an old. You know, abandoned house there. And we yeah, just, just smashed the fuck. Throw up, rocks yeah. at it. It was so brilliant. I just, it was just generally the best. Did you throw girls rocks do that? Did girls do that? Just fell apart. It was just when you're like 15, did you just smash it up? You don't, do you? Yes. Oh, some of you. That do. lady didn't, but everyone else did. Okay, yeah, good. Go and do it. Go and do it. Fine. Like, don't knock down someone's nice I, house. But I have, I have two daughters, and I have noticed 
that whenever they build a sandcastle on a beach, some boy always comes along and just boots it over and goes, yeah! Like that. I started to wonder if it was like a gender thing. Yeah. I don't think well, my like daughter... girls build and boys destroy. Well, I've been... Well, I, my, obviously, kids love sand, don't they? So I'm in the sand all the time. Every time we go to sand, and uh, I've been making sandcastles, and every time I make a sandcastle, my daughter comes over and just stamps on them straight away. Oh, nice. So she does that. And then, okay, cool. but then the other day, I was in a sandpit in... Um, in Hammersmith, and uh, I was building loads of sandcastles. I was trying to make loads before she'd come back and destroy them. And then I was just sitting in a sandpit making sandcastles, and I looked around. My daughter had fucked off and gone somewhere else. (laughs) So I was a 48-year-old man, just on his own, really quickly building loads of sandcastles. I love that. (laughs) I really committed to it. Yeah, yeah, because I was really going to... Get the sweaty back and everything. (laughs) And in my mind, I was thinking, you know, we're all the villagers in these sandcastles, and we're... (laughs) Waiting for the monster to return the story, but at the moment she's only little, so she might she might become. You got one, you got one. Yeah, just one. Yeah, yeah. you're gonna have more. You reckon? I hope so. Yeah, you don't want an only child. They're bricks. (laughs) Yeah, I think they can be omnipotent bricks. I'm telling you. Yeah, definitely. They'll end up being. I'm just trying to think who I know is an only child. Oh, Stuart Lee. Uh, So yeah, uh, it's. uh, Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> right, let me just let me jump back and see whether there's. Uh, we're doing all right. We're doing all right. Uh, we, we haven't done our backstage interview yet. We have to remember to do that because because oh, cool. uh, yeah, it's, well, that's for a secret thing. All right. Um, so yeah, we'll quickly talk about your sister. I've thought about not talking about your sister, but we'll yeah. quickly talk about your sister because that's that's kind of amazing that from your family you've produced two very creative people. Your sister Zadie Smith, mm. who uh, wrote White Teeth mm-hmm. and uh, several other novels. Um, and so, do you think that's do you think that's from your upbringing, or do you think it's just? Yeah, it's, I, I, you know what? It fascinates me, and that, that's what I like. People always like piss, pussyfooting around asking me about it, but like, I, I love to talk about it because I'm trying to work it out myself mm. how it's how it's possible. I'm not saying like, oh my god, two amazing people. I don't mean that at all. Like, my sister is definitely an amazing person, but like, there's five kids. I've got a half brother, a half sister. And I've got a younger brother as well. Um, and all five of us are artists. Like, right. none of, not one of us has ever considered doing, like, oh, like, I'm going to do, like, I'm going to work in Tesco or I'm going <laughs> to be an engineer or I'm going to do some shit that actually could help, like, you know? <laughs> it was my sister's 40th last year and there was a bunch of videos made for her by her friends. And one of them, the friend said... Uh, you're the most useless person that I'd take into the apocalypse with me. And I thought that, that really describes an artist, you know, yeah. like, we're fucking useless, but like, we, you know, we, we, we can entertain us, boys, and that's about it. But anyway, um, yeah, we're, we're all artists, you know, my, my, my eldest half-brother who is, Jesus, 65? Right. Maybe, 66. He's a musician. Um, my half sister is uh, uh, an art teacher and a, and a painter herself. Yeah. You know, my, my sister Zadie, obviously, an author. My younger brother is a musician, um, and I I think about it all the time. I look at my parents and I think, what 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 was it? Yeah. Neither of them were artists. Neither of them even finished school. I mean, my dad dropped out of school at like, what twelve, thirteen. My mum dropped out about sixteen, maybe, and their experiences were incredibly tough you know my, my dad dropped out of school you know uh, the war was on second world war yeah. and he was you know picking up shrapnel for a living you know clearing up shrapnel from in front of the shops and stuff like yeah. that and then when it got to like 44 he enlisted as a, as a teenager and then he was fighting people killing men you know and uh, like that's bonkers to me 
and my, and my mom, you know, growing up, I seen where she was born. I went and visited in, in 2012, the shack she was born in, in, in Dalton, a tiny village in St. Elizabeth on the south coast of Jamaica. And for these two motherfuckers to meet, I mean, I just, it's just, it blows your mind, <laughs> right? And then, you know, you grow up, working class, council estate, the whole nine, you know, you think, where does it come from? But looking back, all I can say to you, Rich, is like, it's like I was saying, you know, the flat was, it was an interesting place yeah, to yeah, be. There was lots of crazy stuff going on. There were debates and um, questions being asked and arguments being had and music being played that felt important. You could sense it even as a little kid. Yeah. And then you'd go out on the street and you'd see the fucking National Front marching and the, the Nation of Islam, the black separatists marching and stuff. And you think, oh, fuck both these pricks, you know. Yeah. We, we were a mixed race family. We have white people and black people in our house, Irish people, Jamaican people, all day long, you know. We were talking, we were conversing, we were hearing stuff, we were seeing crazy stuff. And all I can say is that what else would we have become other than storytellers, you know, in some way, shape, or form? Mm. And, you know, my brothers tell stories through their songs. My, my, my eldest sister tells stories through her paintings. My older sister tells literal stories, yeah. you know. And, 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 and I fucking just blabber on all the time (laughs) it's just it's in our bones that's all I can think it's not from academia or but you know it's like if I hadn't you know if I I had made an assumption and I got oh I you know I expect this family was very privileged you know if I hadn't read the books if I just knew you were were a rapper and she was a writer it's kind of you know you've come out of a a regular comprehensive school there can't be many people who thought oh I'm going to be a novelist or I'm going to be a a rapper it's another reason I'd love to even though he's probably bordering on old age I'd love to kick Tony Blair in the nuts because (laughs) we went to university for free yeah you know because if you're on a, a if you're from a low income family or whatever Everything just got paid for by your council. Yeah. So Brink Council paid for Zadie to go to Cambridge, bro. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? To King's. To King's College, Cambridge. Yeah. You know, they pay for me to go to Norwich. You know, <laughs> these are amazing things. These are amazing things. Come on, guys. UEA, fantastic place. Um, <laughs> My wife went there as well. So. <laughs> uh, you know, it, no, but it's incredible. You know, you, you, the only reason I came out with any debt was because I was greedy. I wanted to get a loan because I wanted to go to New York and buy records and trainers, you know, yeah. and impress girls. Like, that was the only reason I had any debt. And, and that's how it should be for everybody. Education should be free from start to finish. I mean, everybody knows that, but we're being cheated out of it. And um, that's why it's going to be harder and harder to find more Zadie Smiths. Yeah. You know? So, um, yeah, I think we had a little bit of luck, a lot of determination, and a lot to say. And I yeah. think you combine those things and uh, they it, it can go a long way, you know? Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I think that that's talking to lots and lots of people in this podcast and trying to work out for everyone what makes people successful. Because mm. it's, uh, you know, and I think there, there, there is always luck in there, but all the people who are successful have this determination and this sort of passion with it and aren't going to be stopped by anything, whether it's mm. being poor or also, where Also, there's come a from. fear of, like, you, what else would you do? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. a lot of us, we really struggle in, in normal tasks. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, we just be shit. Yeah. Please don't make me build a house. I just can't. <laughs> I can't do it. Let me just pay. Let me, I'll, I'll tap dance. Let me, I'll tap dance for, for this guy to build a kitchen for me. You know, anything I can do. Yeah. You know, um, so I think a lot of us, yeah, what else could we do? <laughs> 
Well, it's, it's very interesting. And I think, well, you know, I think also what you're just saying there as well, which, again, I hadn't really considered before I was thinking about you, is just like you're getting racism from both sides, right? Well, that's, that was nuts. Up. I mean, if anybody here grew up in a major city in the UK in, in the late 70s, early 80s, then you will know this to be fact. If you're from Bristol, if you're from Manchester, if you're from Cardiff, you're from London, you know, Liverpool, then you'll remember a time when shit was nuts like that it was crazy like people yeah. looked at half cast and for those listening to this I'm doing the inverted <laughs> commas with my fingers because that is not how you describe a human being that's how you describe a mixture of Dulux paints um, you know they'd look at us as accidents you know normal people who weren't you know you wouldn't consider them racist or whatever then you had these fucking idiots like Combat 18 and National Front who were like go home I'm like dude I was born in Wilston like where am I going where do you want me to go like you know and then you had these black separatists who were like we're all going back to Africa you know even though no one even knew where Africa was right (laughs) so then the NF and like and the black separatists they'd be like yeah dude you've got a lot of salient points you've got got a lot yeah I'm I'm feeling this guy this is so it was just it was very scary you know to, to be a mixed family because we represented everything that those two extremists hated and feared you know this sort of miscegenation this mixture this this mongrelization of what they both saw as as pure yeah whereas we just thought we represented equality you know but what the fuck did we know and do you fear that that we could go back into that direction? i mean that's what i think that's where we're going right now bro and it scares the shit out of me you know the way the way we we, we're becoming suspicious of every muslim it's like a flashback to thatcher's britain bro yeah you know I mean, I read an, I read an article, and I've re- I don't know why I do this. I'm sure you do the same thing. You know, someone like Emma Kennedy will post some shit <laughs> on Twitter and say, look at this shit, and you're like, I read it, and it ruins your day because it's some idiot. It was one of those kind of things. It was an article in the Daily Mail about why we should be scared to take Ubers because the majority of them are driven by Muslims, and because it's Ramadan, they're going to be too weak to control machinery. <laughs> And I read this last Tuesday, and I, you know, thank God it was laugh out loud hilarious, because I would have been furious, you know. But by chance, you know, I was doing another little interview um, in uh, in Kensal Rise, and I was late for this next appointment, and I I, I called an Uber, and it was this this Muslim guy, (laughs) Mohammed. Like, as soon as I saw the name pop up on my phone, like, I jumped in, I was like, how's it going, bro? fasting and he was like yeah man it's such a ball egg you know <laughs> and i was like yeah dude this, it was a really sunny day right yeah. i was like dude it's so sunny like what like he goes 902 p.m like before i said anything it was 902 p.m bro like i can't tell you how much i'm waiting for that time and he was just such a cool funny intelligent yeah. guy and i was just like for fuck's sake man like if only like everyone from the daily mail could just sit in the back of this cab and listen to Mohammed speak this is a dude who was born and bred in London, you know, he, he, was, ta- he was talking so eloquently about why he fasts, you know, because we were both laughing about how hungry he was, but he was saying at the same time, you know, dude, it, it's just, it's, a, it's such a reminder for me of how lucky I am to be born here, to always have access to, to food, to whatever I want, you know, I can, I can live life however I want, it's just a beautiful thing, I can speak my mind. And whenever I fast, I just, I just remember, shit, there's some kid somewhere who, even if he wanted what, what, I, what I'm eating, he, he can't get to it. He can't yeah. get to it. 
And it just, it, it keeps, keeps me humble and it keeps me focused. And I was like, fucking hell, man. This is the majority of Muslims, bro. Yeah. There's like two nutters, you know, and, and then like a, a thousand like cool guys. And it just bugs me. I don't know, man. Like if a white person, white English person blows some shit up, people are like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You're a nutter. Look him up. He's evil. But no one goes, hey, white people. Why don't you apologize for this guy? Yeah. Like, what are we talking about? I don't even know him. Who is he? <laughs> and I just can't understand how we can't apply that to everybody else. So, yeah, I think it's, a, as we said earlier in, in the pod, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a scary time where we're letting fear control us. And fear, like feeling scared, it makes you angry. You get angry that you're scared, you know? That's why, like, if a cyclist rides out in front of me, my car like a dick or jumps a red light yeah. you know I fucking I lose my shit with him and then he loses his shit with me and we're screaming at each other and it's it's not because we hate each other really it's because we're both scared that one of us might have died just now <laughs> yeah, yeah. like we're terrified and we're furious at the other guy for bringing us so close to this ultimate fear mm. you know so fear it creates loathing and then we're all fucking looking at each other suspiciously and on top of that we got these money worries everybody's struggling the city that I was born and bred in, the city that created some of the most incredible culture in the world, birthed some of the most interesting people, created a, a, a vision of multiculturalism that made me feel safe and loved, is now like a millionaire's fucking playground full of, like, pricks, you know? <laughs> and, and, and my friends can't afford to live here. And... Uh, you know, I just think all of these things are coming together. Yeah. And we just need one more hot summer and it's all going to kick off again like it did in 2011, you know? Yeah. It, I, it's really scary. And it's a scary time to be a parent as well in that respect because yeah. you just don't know what the future holds. No, it's true. It's, yeah, I mean... It, well, Love's the only thing, bro. It's the only <laughs> currency that can get us through. And I know, I'm not trying to sound like Russell Brand because I don't want to sound like Russell Brand. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, that's all I can think of that can work. And I think, but also the the mathematics and the statistics of it, if you really think about it, the chances of anything happening, even with, you know, this minority of people, Mm. there is a tiny minority of people who want to kill people on both sides, you know. I mean, mean, the minute you look at that, what happened in America this weekend, and, Mm. you know... Horrific. But the people on both sides, you know, there's people on both sides, there's people delighted about it because they think... Gay people yeah, are, you know, deserve to die, and they're Christians supposedly, yeah. or whatever. And, you know, and so it's both sides of craziness. Yeah, yeah. But I just think it's such, there's still such a tiny amount of people, and that's what you say with the Daily Mail, all that thing with Muslims. You go, mm. fuck if every Muslim, you know, I got into a Twitter argument <laughs> with it, and they said it's something like sixty percent of Muslims agree with oh, terrorism Jesus and it would Christ. carry out terrorism. You know, that's not true because if even if like. One percent of Muslims wanted to carry out terrorism. We'd, there'd be something every day, exactly. in every street, there all are a the lot time. Of Muslims, <laughs> because there are billions of fucking Muslims it's a joke, in the man. world. It's a joke. And so, any logic tells you straight away that it's nothing to do with. But it's know. much easier to get people's votes, to get people to follow you, to get people to listen to you. If you scare them first, yeah, if you shake them up first. How you know? terrifying is it that that's that? You know, well, Trump's doing it blatantly. That. That Gove and, and Trump don't uh, give a shit, bro. Johnson He's going and, old school with it. Yeah, but like, you know, but it's it's just it is. I, mean, I'm not, I don't want to start comparing people to Hitler, but it's exactly the same. <laughs> it is. It is. That's bro. what Hitler did. And the minute you think, hey, I'm doing something a bit similar to what Hitler did to get into power, surely you go, oh, maybe I should pull back a yeah, bit. Yeah, rein it in just a touch. <laughs> Dial it down, bro. Dial it down. So you know, when you know, and they're intelligent people, and they know what they're doing, and they know that they're they're 
making fear mm. and they're, and they're, they're appealing to that lowest mm. common denominator and turning ignorance into being yeah. strength you know that's what it's, it's what they're saying it's it's bad being intelligent is what they're saying it's good <laughs> it's, yeah. good, it's good to be ignorant and believe totally, this man. bullshit stuff keep playing candy crush you ignorant <laughs> motherfuckers oh man hopefully we'll be all right uh <laughs> oh probably all right uh <laughs> <laughs> let's pick it up. Let's, let's pick, let's up pick up. on so you're doing. Uh, uh, how are you enjoying Peter Ackroyd's London? Are you still reading that book, dude? I'll be reading that book until I die. That's it's like, great. A, it's it's like great. 1100 pages long. Yeah. No, no, I, I did finish it a while back, but I'd like to read it again at some stage, maybe when I'm retired, because it is such hard work. But Peter Ackroyd's London, for people who don't know, is is it's a biography of London written by the historian Peter Ackroyd, and it. Um, it sort of treats London as like a, breathe, a living, breathing being, basically. And uh, it's, it sounds wanky, and it, it really is. Well, it is in parts. But uh, <laughs> no, it's, if you walk around with that book and an A to Z around the city, you'll fall in love with the city again, you know? It's, it, it, it's, it's something else. And uh, uh, yeah, it's a huge inspiration to me, that yeah. book, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I read it a few years ago. And then I, I was on holiday. And it was such a big book. It was hard. I was no, like on a disgusting. long holiday. But I, when I got halfway through, I ripped it in half and gave the first half to someone that else. That makes sense. That actually makes sense. <laughs> and, then, and then it was a much lighter book to carry on, but then I bought it again. But it Presumably was... you ripped it down the bind, right? Yeah, you yeah. Try and, <laughs> you try and Jeff Capes the motherfucker. <laughs> That'd be a great book to read. Oh, fuck. <laughs> just half the song. Just oh, getting good. Spring Hill Jack. So oh, frustrating. Uh, but it's, yeah, because I've been on lots of walks. I mean, the, the old London, which he talks about, is mm. so amazing. Mm. You can still see loads mm. of it. If you go walking around... Yeah, yeah, that's how you know we're old, Rich. Because we get excited by going on walks. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I wanted to ask you about... Do you remember being on Nevermind the Full Stops? I do. It was the first and last comedy panel show (laughs) I ever did. (laughs) I did that. It was by the guy who writes Downton Abbey. Julian Fellows was the host. That's right, yeah. Uh, I was such a prick. Oh, I, uh, next level. Yeah. Next level. It was such a fucking awful panel Do you remember show? Brian Sewell? Yeah. Yeah, he's like the TV version of Brian yeah, Sewell. Mine's just so important. It was like doing a really d- difficult exam, and then he goes... <laughs> and it was about punctuation. I mean, it was, a, it was a panel show about punctuation. Yeah. And then if you got it wrong, he'd go, oh, dear, do you not know oh, how to God. use those semicolons? I, I generally told him to fuck off at the end. That's during, the, during the retakes, I said, oh, fuck oh. off. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> and the audience, the tiny audience there, applauded. I wondered if you had a... If you, if you, oh, fuck. That's brilliant. I love that. I love that. Did you have a nice time on it? Uh, you know what? I, honestly, it was... I, I don't quite remember it. I'm thinking it was like uh, 09, something like that. It was a while Maybe ago. Maybe 08, even. Than that, yeah. I think they sort of brought me on to do like a sort of word-laden... I, don't, I, don't, I think I did a song or something, oh, so I don't know if I was fully involved in the actual panel. Okay. Um, I don't know about panel stuff, man. It's, uh, it's a special kind of... Let's call it a talent. Okay. Uh, but it's, a, <laughs> it's a certain kind of person who wants to do it and yeah. can do it, and some of them. I mean, some of them are great, I think. But here's, what, here's all I'll say on this. I only want to make TV that I would watch. Yeah, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> but no one allows you to. Make that. well, that's why I think being an actor. That's why I'm not richer than I, I should be. You know. You know. <laughs> well, yeah, it's. I mean, Bruv, I, why do you live here? <laughs> leave me alone, man. You have to do this every day. 
Oh dear man. All right, I'll ask you. I'll ask. Let's let's get it. Let's lighten up with some cock questions. Wicked. Uh, should penis transplants be allowed? Because mm. they're happening, and they could uh, come for yours next. That's what I'm saying. So what, so what are we saying here? Transplanting a penis onto another man? Well, at the moment, it's mainly used for about, good. You know, the switch. <laughs> well, no, that as well, but it's, but it's actually more what it is. It's people who've lost their penis. And there's lots of ways that can happen. So there's lots, there's lots so of... We're talking about penis donating. Yeah, what so, so, okay. dead, so a dead, you get a dead person's penis... Hopefully. Oh, right. So it's not okay. like uh, I've lost my penis in a horrific accident. Yeah. I'm really good mates with Richard Herring. <laughs> well, that's what I'm worried about. He I'm just, I'm just worried so that it's some... a dead guy's di- At the moment, I think that's acceptable. But it gets hard. But, yeah, well, yeah, if you can... I suppose it is it hard. If you... <laughs> it's already hard, right? That's, that's the nature Are of rigor mortis. Are you imagining slightly grey Frankenstein stitches? Yeah. It must go hard, yeah. right? <laughs> I think they get it before it goes, uh, before that happens. So I think it'll be, if, you know, in the same way that if you're, you died and I, I thought I'd, I'd have a go at that liver, that looks like a nice I liver. would donate my dick, definitely. Yeah. And I, you know what? I would, go, I would go the whole nine yards. I would have a fluffer by my bedside <laughs> for my last, my final moments. Yeah. So at the very least, a semi. <laughs> Best case scenario. Full on woods. And then they pass can, it on. They can pump it pass up. It on. I, well, no, I know a bit about the mechanics of this because I did. I, in my book, Talking Cock, uh, available on Kindle, uh, you, I went to the uh, Iceland Phallological Museum, and they were trying. At the time, they didn't have one. They were trying to get a human penis. They had all the penises of every mammal in Iceland. In what? Uh, in like in glass, je- in glass jars. jars, and and yeah, also and some mounted on the wall. Some of them been dried out, so they were like kind of moose heads but they were <laughs> moose cocks or whale cocks were usually the big ones uh, and they, there, was a, there was an old guy uh, who was a Nazi guy called uh, oh, I forgot his name but he, he was really old and he'd had sex with loads of women and he was a Nazi <laughs> but he wanted to give his penis to the museum when he died so they had it all in plan that they were going to when he was dead mm. they'd immediately ring a doctor whip it off before rigor mortis set in and then and, and before anything went wrong so wow. they could pump it up so it could be it could be erect in so, the museum. No, I don't want to do it. This is just like the EU thing. I don't want to side with <laughs> fucking Nazis, man. I don't want to... That idea... You've ruined that idea Okay, right. Well, we'll leave your penis where it is. Did you watch Blackfish the other night? No. Has anyone seen that film? That film was... Like, it really affected me. Right. Like, I fucking love whales now. But uh, on, on another note, though, there is a scene where they're just jerking off a whale <laughs> for, like, ages. Yeah. And it was really disturbing. Um... <laughs> How big is the whale's cock like well, when you're stood next to it? There's, there are some really big ones. There are one that probably six foot tall, actually, thinking about it. So that, that you know, it could be a six foot tall whale penis that you went on a date with. That's a whole yeah. new story. Yeah. Uh, and much but, more, like, realistic. That yeah. could happen. Yeah, could that, that you could fall in could love happen. with a whale penis. <laughs> could happen. Yeah, yeah. Without the whale. There was a woman who married a Ferris wheel once, you know. Yeah. So a woman married the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm talking about. Well, it's not a Ferris wheel. <laughs> <laughs> At least you can ride a Ferris wheel. <laughs> I, I want to see that Eiffel Tower scenario. If that is special celebrity, if you've been in a film with Ricky Gervais, you go to the Eiffel Tower, they go, hey man, we'll let you go on the, the Ferris wheel. It's a Ferris wheel, just it all opens up. For celebrities only. Um, okay, have you got what it takes to be a spy? That wow. is one of the questions from the internet. <laughs> 
I don't. I like to think I do. I like to think I do because I think if if you can do stand up and acting, then you do you do have like a natural sort of bullshit ability. But that said, like when I'm when I'm not on stage, I'm not disinterested, bro. Like I'm, I'm just not disinterested. I don't always have the gift of the gab, and I think that would concern me. And I also I met a dude recently, who I think. I thought was a spy and I, okay. I spoke to his good friend and he goes yeah we've all thought he's been a spy for like 10 years and I was like give me details and he was like well a lot of the time he says I've got to go like in the <laughs> middle of a, like a meal and then he comes back two days later yeah. and they say where the fuck did you go and he says like to Gejistan <laughs> why and he's like I just had some shit I had to do <laughs> Not a very good spy, is he? If he's standing there, he's taking pictures of stuff with a little camera. These are his very close friends, so I think he gives them enough so that they don't hate him, you know, because he does disappear. Then I realized I picked up The Guardian one day and he was on the front cover. All right. Yeah, talking about how it was just after Paris, the atrocities there. Yeah. And he was talking about the levels of threat for this country. And he's not fully a spy, but he is like. one of the leading experts right. and, and easily the youngest in the world okay. on uh, like fighting terrorism. He's a fucking cool guy. I reckon I can, we can work out who he is. And now. I don't think I could be him. He's got okay. an Italian name. You can look him up. Okay, I'm gonna find him. I'm gonna find him and reveal to the world that he's a spy on my podcast. <laughs> then he'll have, have me wiped out. Oh no, we'll have to wipe this bit. Um, <laughs> all right, I'll end, I'll end on this. This is a new emergency question. Do you ever worry that you've already lived your life and are now in a care home with Alzheimer's disease? <laughs> um, and what you perceive as reality is just a distorted memory of the first time this happened. Oh, oh dude. Oh, man. You can't leave me on that, man. That's, dude, killing me. There's no way you would know, though, is there? You'd just think, I'm living this. Yeah, that's so... Dude, if, if, if this was, like, 20 years ago and I was still smoking as much skunk as I did then, <laughs> I would have just, like, collapsed off the chair. Like, that would have just ruined me. I'd like to think not. I'd like to think not. But who knows, man? Who well, knows? I would be awful to... That's why it'd just be awful if I'm in a care home and all I'm doing is reliving the Leicester Square Theatre podcast. Like, wow. It's hard, it's hard enough the first time, some of them. <laughs> Wait till you hear the Tony Law one. Fucking hell. I mean, it's... Uh, You've heard it already, of course, you're at home, but uh, it's, it was amazing. But oh, I don't want to go through it again. <laughs> it's an awesome thing you got here, though, man. It's like, fun, isn't it? It's all right. I know, it's, you know what's I've great. I've in and out, but now I'm going to be a proper, yeah. I'm going to be a proper dedicated what listener. What I like about it is it's, you know, it can be, it's just really different every time, even though I ask the same questions. <laughs> uh, but it's, you know, it's, you know, it's really, there's a really nice uh, vibe. I've re- when I was doing this today, I just I had such fun just um, researching both uh, you and, and last week, Lauren. Uh, and, uh, that was a great show, yeah, that Lauren last, week. last week. And, uh, you know, I just thought, this is great. You know, it'd be nice to just do this, really, ideally. But, you mm. know, then I'd die and my baby would starve to death. So uh, it's <laughs> not going to happen. Uh, well, look, it's been... I'll, I'll, well, let's... I mean, I, I could ask you... Uh, Buzz Kenya, is there anything purple within 10 feet of you? What now? 
I don't know. I, it's hard to see the audience. Yeah, okay. It's light. I guess someone's wearing something purple. That lady's wearing a purple cardigan. Yeah. There you go. Okay, well done. Is it a purple cardigan? Can you confirm that? She yes. can confirm that. She Lauren Avern didn't see that last week. You knew she was sitting right there, wouldn't you? It's weird that you were there yeah. wearing the same clothes. Don't you ever change? It's <laughs> a whole week ago. <laughs> it's been uh, lovely talking to you. Go and check out uh, all the YouTube comedy stuff. It's really funny, but also the music stuff's great. Doing, Thank you. I mean, they're doing loads of fucking acting. You're in a new series. Uh, yeah, it actually starts. Uh, Brief Encounters. Yeah, Brief Encounters on ITV One. I think it starts in the first week of July. You're playing a sexy policeman. I've seen sexy you, policeman. You had your yeah. top off. I've got my top off in the trailer, dude. Yeah, I've I seen didn't it. think I was very surprised by that. <laughs> I didn't think that was going to be in the trailer. I was very concerned about the topless acting because yeah. I might look like I look after myself. I, I really, really don't. Okay, I don't. I've never been in a gym. I don't do any of that stuff. Like I said, I used to be overweight. I just don't know what happened. I didn't change my lifestyle. I just got lucky. Like I was just that lucky prick, you know. Um, but you know, I'm not like built or anything. So when they said you got to take your shirt off, you know, answer the door in like a little towel, I was like, okay, guys, like it's just hairy brown jelly under here. There's nothing. There's no like muscle, it's not like, you know. It looked good to me in the brief snatch line. All the other actors in this shit, all the other actors in it. Yeah. They're they're down the gym after the, you know, I drink with the sound guys, you know, that's what I do. (laughs) They go to the gym before and after and they're all ripped. And you see them in the show, they're all ripped. And I spoke to the producer and said, I'm really concerned about this. And she said, because it's set in 1982, she was like, it's the 80s, nobody was ripped. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's my theory. On it. Cool. Well, look out for that Taskmaster you're going to be in as oh, well. Oh, yeah, so. with lovely Alex Horn, Greg Davis. That's yeah. coming up on Dave pretty soon. That's a great fun show. Murder and Successful with Tom you, Davis. Yeah, yeah, that's well. great as well. That's a great um, show as well. BBC uh, Three. Fantastic. Well, give a massive round of applause to Doc Brown. Cheers, okay, guys. Ben, ben, Thank ben. you very much. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to Richard Herring's Letter Squad, the podcast with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Doc Brown, Ben Bailey-Smith. He's got a hundred different names. Listen to the music. It is by Pest. They are a good band. Thank you very much to Go Past the Stripe and all the people who work on the filming of the show, which you are not seeing right now. Thank you very much to the Leicester Square Theatre for having me into their Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre. Thank you very much to the British Comedy Guide, who hosts this podcast, and iTunes for stealing it and letting you listen to it, if that's how you're doing it. My producer is Ben Walker. Apparently, he's very helpful to some acts. And it is a fuzz. It is a gofasterstrike.com. It is a Sky Potato production for the internet. Thanks for listening to the podcast. There's lots of ways you can help us out, as always. Go to gofasterstrike.com. That's a good way. Or go to richtownie.com slash gigs and see if I'm coming near to you. You can buy DVDs. You can buy badges. Uh, you can come and see the show. Go to the Leicester Square Theatre website leicestersquaretheatre.com, I think it might be, and you can buy tickets to forthcoming shows. We've got loads more to come in this series, so do stay tuned for some fantastic guests uh, I'm very excited about. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends if you like. They might be interested as well. You never know. There's lots to catch up on, isn't there, if they haven't listened to any idiots. All right, bye. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. RichardHerring.com slash ballback slash tour or RichardHerring.com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. GoFasterStripe.com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out.